In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the things that I enjoy the most about the Easter season is the hymns we sing. Of course, I rejoice in Jesus' triumph over death and the implications of that victory for everyone in this room. I love seeing children who both find Easter eggs and look like Easter eggs, and there were a passel of them last Sunday. I'm always thrilled to see the altar and the sanctuary and the chancel of any church, especially this church, festooned with love in the form of flowers. And what you saw last week and during the week at this cathedral wins every prize in that category. I rejoice in those big crowds of people who turn out to celebrate the glory of the resurrection, and I always expect every single one of them to come back the next week, and they never do. But I heard that there are buses on the way, so one had a flat tire. We call you the faithful remnant and thank God for you. But then, the best of all, to start the Easter season, with welcome, happy morning, age to age, shall say that particular hymn. Oh, that's a heightened moment of consciousness for me. It is filled with memories of Easter's past. It is a delight on that occasion to sing all six verses. And it's a privilege to offer a hymn that has been used as the processional in the church for over 1,500 years. Oh, I'm ready for the great 50 days, bring them on. Two years ago at this time, I celebrated and preached Easter for a tiny little group of faithful Episcopalians at St. David's Church in Chiraw, South Carolina. They called me the priest for the moment. We did it on a day-to-day basis. All 25 of us gathered together in old St. David's Church that was built way back in 1770. And right before we began the Eucharist, I heard a parishioner whisper to a friend, I wonder if he is going to let us sing Welcome, Happy Morning. Well, I found out later that they had had a former priest who took it away from the congregation. And he did so on on the basis of what he referred to as bad musicianship. Isn't it amazing to witness the ditches in which we clergy will sometimes choose to die? Now, I know way down deep in my heart that hell today has been vanquished, Christ is risen, and that his appearance among his disciples in that upper room is a validation of that claim. If Christ can walk through the hell of it all and come out the other side, then so can we who have been baptized and rebaptized as members of his body. Christ is the trailblazer, the first fruits. No matter what hell befalls us in this life, we know the rest of the story, and we bank on that. Peter, James, John, Thomas, Andrew, the faithful few, huddled together in fear in that upper room on Easter evening to greet the risen Lord. Every single one of those guys ended their lives in ways that we would describe as grisly. They were all martyred for their friendship with Jesus. And every single one of them chose to walk on, to keep walking on for the good of Jesus' cause because they knew the rest of the story. 
They had seen the risen Lord. They had touched his side. They had walked with him, talked with him, and heard him call them his own. And they understood way down to the ground of their being that they too would in some way rise in glory. Now that faith is contagious. I hope we can catch it. However, I must say that I wonder sometimes if our theology of hope and our mission to transform the world by Christian love isn't just some form of wishful thinking. Hell is vanquished, Christ is risen today, we sing so beautifully. But I ask at times, is it really? I get scared on occasion, and fear can cloud my Easter vision. Perhaps you know that dynamic. Perhaps you don't. When I hear of another synagogue in our country last night, this time in the outskirts of San Diego, being an arena for another shooting, Oh, words fail me. When I see Kim Jong-un of North Korea begin to cuddle up with the sinister likes of Vladimir Putin, I wonder what horrors are in the offing. And I know that hell is currently the currency of this day in so many borders of so many countries, not only our own. Oh, climate change, food shortage, water shortage, economic depravity. They create massive immigrations that seek relief lest they die. Has hell been vanquished? In the spiritual realm, hell is defined as a place of evil and suffering. Often thought to be a perpetual fire somewhere beneath the earth. Where for eternity the wicked are punished after death. And how often that vision has been used as a fear and a shaming technique for Christian congregations. It's the place where the devil lives. But in modern parlance, we often refer to hell as an extremely difficult experience of our own. Torment, anguish, something to be avoided at all costs. You know, as well as I do, that our world is a flat-out mess. And it can certainly rattle the cage of those who trust in the goodness and rightness of God. And yet it gives us pause and cause to wonder. I saw a sermon on this subject a few weeks ago. This past month, as I do every April, I fly to New York City to teach an intensive course on alcoholism and addiction at General Seminary. The course is entitled, The Pastor's Role in the Treatment of That Dreadful Hellish Disease. On the Friday of our time together, as I always do, I took my theological students to lunch. We walked past St. Peter's Church on 20th Street. You may know exactly where I'm speaking. On the way to a little diner on 8th Avenue called The Dish. By the way, go there and use my name and they'll give you free hummus and pita. St. Peter's has been around a long, long time. Its building dates back to the early 19th century when the Reverend Clark Clement Moore was rector. Does that name ring a bell with anybody, Clark Clement Moore? He was a very famous priest of the church, and he's buried today in Trinity Church Wall Street Cemetery. One of his poems brought him a measure of fame. It's a little poem that we still say today on one day of the year. 
was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Now, next time you read those verses to an excited little child on Christmas Eve, remember it came from the pen of a New York City rector who also taught theology, like me, at General Seminary. Maybe it's time for me to pen a verse. St. Peter's is almost 200 years old. It is falling apart, and there isn't a day that goes by without a boatload of renovation, along with a maze of scaffolding to ruffle the neighbor's feathers. Right now, it's an utter mess. It's an eyesore. The church is coming apart at the seams, and it looks like unvanquished hell. So bad that there is a huge sign out front that reads with assurance, all shall be well. All shall be well. Just to let the the irritable neighbors know that God is at work despite outer appearances. All shall be well. Now that's a sign. That's a sermon. It was for me. It's a sign as in billboard, but it's also a good omen. Bright theological students that they are, my lunch-going class of theologues caught it. They said, oh, look over there. That's the word of Julian of Norwich, a 14th century English woman whose claim to saintly fame were the words, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. Despite all appearances to the contrary, despite what's staring us in the face and causing us to become anxious and even despondent, despite the many hells that landscape these lives of ours that sometimes resemble soap operas, all our hope on God is founded, and that's not wishful thinking. We know how the story ends. St. Julian knew that story. She was a good theological thinker. She was a better teleological thinker. She's remembered more for her teleology than for her theology. Teleology means concentration on the end, the last. Teleology has to do with the end. She knew the rest of the Jesus story, and she loved to tell it. She could look squarely at the present, as grim as it is sometimes, and see it through the lens of the end. She banked her life on the belief that if Jesus walked that lonely valley to glory, so would she, and so would all her friends and all those who come after those friends. In the end, ultimately, all shall be well. All shall be well. That's faith. It's contagious. Can you catch it? Actually, Julian was living out the precious gift of Christian hope and the transformative power of love and faithing as best she could that God does hear our prayer and does respond and certainly keep God's end of the bargain in ways that often elude expectations. You'll often, hear, you'll often see sermons as not just hear them, look for them. That crumbling church of ours in Manhattan with Julian's little message of hope was just enough to get our little group celebrating Easter right there on the fourth Sunday of Lent. So welcome, happy morning, faithful remnant, those of you who gather without fail on low Sunday. Thank God for you. Now that bus, where is it? Go out and look for it. Hell today is vanquished, Christ is risen. That hymn that has become such the glad sound on Easter morning for so many of us. 
The words were written 1,500 years ago by a man whose name I would like to pronounce. And if I ever change my name, I'm going to use his. Venantius Honorius Clementianus Fortunatus. Don't you like the sound of that? How it just rolls from the lips. In the mid-19th century, an English priest, John Ellerton, translated this complex Latin into English. And of all people on the face of the earth, Arthur Seymour Sullivan, as in Gilbert and Sullivan, composed the music for that hymn. I just wonder if Mr. Sullivan isn't the reason that that South Carolina priest denied the congregation the pleasure of singing it our great part in the glory of resurrection, as some of us know as Easter starts. Well, this morning, you know the dean's away. Let's cast caution to the winds. Why don't you turn to page 179 of your hymnal? And Jason, you can be quiet. And as John Wesley would say, why don't you stand and lustily sing with me the first verse of hymn 179. Stand up. Now don't you tell the dean. <laughs> Welcome, happy morning, age to age shall say. Hell today is banquet. 